feed some of us in here real quick. How many of us was alive in 1980? How many remember a song that come out in 1980 called It's Hard to Be Humble? You remember that song? Miss Laurie sings that to Jay every morning, don't you? It's hard to be humble when you're Jay Sims, right? Because I know Tammy sings it to me all the time. So, I mean, Jay, I know how you feel to have it sung to you like that. How many of y'all ever heard the words of that song? Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I can't wait to look in the mirror because I get better looking each day. Huh? Now you see why it fits me and Jay, right? It's hard. It really is. It is. But this morning, we're going to be talking in James, and uh, I'm going to be real honest. You know, um, I'm glad I'm part of a church that realizes that it's not perfect. I'm glad that I'm part of a church that realizes that we need God desperately, and we seek God, and we try to know, grow, and go in God, and every day we're pushing that direction, you know, and whether it's in small groups on Sunday mornings in Bible study or in grow groups during the week or different groups that are meeting, that we're constantly trying to improve because we know we're not perfect. And if you think you're perfect, you're not. I'll go ahead and bop, just pop that bubble right now. You're not perfect, you know. But this morning in James 4, I'm going to be honest. You know, I've, I've told you all as I've been studying through this book, it's been getting tougher. And today this chapter is hard hitting. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Before we get started, if you think this is going to be a feel-good, pat yourself on the back and walk out smiling, you better go ahead and go now because it is not going to end that way, I don't believe. But let's read in James chapter 4. We'll start in verse 1. It says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Your desire... You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you do not get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. But when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means intimate with God? Therefore, anyone who chooses a friend to be friend, the friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? Because he gives us more grace, that is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves into God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. And when you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you who are to judge your neighbor." Let's pray. Father, we come to you again. Father, again, I thank you for this beautiful day. And Father, right now, Father, I just ask you, just show us our hearts. Father, show us your word. Father, let it pierce us. Father, to understand the love that you have for us. Father, in a relationship that you want to have with us. Father, we love you. In the Son's name I pray. Amen. 
You know, as you read these words and you start looking and, you know, and I, I, I started when I told you that it's going to be hard hitting, you know, this morning, because when you, it starts out, it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have. So you kill, you covet because you, because you get what you want. So you quarrel and fight over it. You know, when you hear those words, God's telling us, he said, the problem is us. The problem's here. The problem is, is you want something that you can't have. You want something that you don't need. How many times in families do we sit and we look at husbands and wives and we look at the children and they're all on separate pages? The husband's going in this direction, the wife's going in this direction, and the kids are somewhere lost in the middle trying to keep up with them because we're not all pursuing the same thing. And that's what, that's what God's telling us right here. He said, what causes fights and quarrels among you? You know, whenever you go back and you look at, at David, David, King David is a perfect example that King David has everything. He has everything. He's got riches. He's the king. He's got wives. And he's standing on the roof one day and he looks down and he sees this beautiful lady. And all at once he says, I've got to have that. He didn't need that. But he said, I've got to have her. And he sent far. And you know how the story goes. He's sent far and she ends up getting pregnant. So then he's caught in a bind. And so then he kills her husband. You know, so when you read these words and it says, it says what causes fights and quarrels among you, don't they come from the battles within you? You know, and it says that we're going to murder. What does it tell us earlier in the New Testament? It, Jesus tells us that if we think it, it's, it's done. And so whenever you start thinking about it, you says, well, I, I've never murdered anybody, have we? Have we? Have we ever coveted something that somebody else has and we can't have it? Think about it. Have we ever got on the internet and we looked and said, wow, I need that. And let's just get real. How many of us have seen a, a beautiful lady and how many men, I mean, ladies have seen a beautiful man and said, I need that. And they're already married. How many times have we seen these a brand new four-wheel drive truck going down the road and say, I need that. No, you don't need that. You want that. So we start covenant. Does that make sense? And so that's what God's telling us when we start reading. And James is calling us out. He's saying, what's causing all this trouble is that you're not seeking God. You know, it goes on. It says, you do not have because you do not ask God. How many of us have that mentality to where we don't pray? Because we don't think we need God. I've got this, God. I can handle this. God, I can get this job. I don't need you to help me with this. God, I've got my finances are set. I don't need you in my finances. God, I don't need you in my marriage. I've got control of this. God, I don't need your help with my kids. Do you understand what I'm saying? The list keeps going on, and it says that we don't have because we don't ask. But then it follows up, and it says that when we do ask, we ask with the wrong motives. It says that we get what we have and we spend it on our pleasures, not God. Our pleasures, not God. You know, God tells us that he's a jealous God. You know, in, in the in book of Exodus, it, it tells us that, that he is a very jealous God. I found a quote. I think it's Mr. Hank that always puts these out there. G.K. Chesterton. Isn't that your, you always quote name. 
I run across this one. It said a newspaper sent out an inquiry to several famous authors asking this question. What's wrong with the world today? G.K. Chesterton immediately replied back, I am. I am. I'm the problem with the world today. There's an awful lot of us that we're the worst advertisement for God that he could have. We show up on Sundays and we get our card checked and then during the week nobody knows that we live for God because they never see it in our lives. And so, you know, whenever you look at what, what G.K. Chesterton said, he says, I am. How many of us is willing to own that? How many of us are willing to say, I'm the problem today? I'm the problem today. But we keep going. A.W. Tozer A.W. Tozer said this. He said, a whole new generation of Christians has come up believing that it, is possible, that it is possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. Let that sink in. There's a whole new generation of Christians that are believing that it's possible to accept Christ without forsaking the world. And what do I mean by that? They think that we can come up here or we can go to somebody and say, God, forgive me. God, I want you to become the Lord of my life, but not change anything about them. Let me tell you, this book right here changes me on a daily basis. I'm right now at 51 years old. I'm a different man than I was 30 years ago. I'm a different man than I was 15 years ago. I'm a different man than I was a year ago. Because the more I read this, the more I want to be like God. And the more I want to be like him and be his disciple, the more I have to change. And so when you hear this and you read that, but then right here, this is where the tire meets the road because James goes into verse 4 and he says, you adulterous people, you adulterous people. I'm going to tell you right now, when you think about that, that kicked me all week long because he's comparing us to an adulterous people. What does he mean by that? It's because we see God, and we say we want God, and we say we want to love God, but yet we put everything else in the world in front of him. We want what we want, and we want it when we want it, and that's a Morgan thing. My family, the Morgans, it's bred into me. If I see something I want, I want it right now. If I have to wait six months, I'm on something completely different. But when you read this words and you read it and he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world makes you an enemy to me? Because what scripture tell us? That we're to be in the world, but not of the world. You know, we're to be in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And if we're friends with the world, if we're doing the things that everybody else is doing and we know that they're wrong, then we're an enemy with God. And when we do that, that's when he's calling us out and he's saying, you adulterous people. That scares me to death. You know, there's a lot of things I want God to say to Johnny Morgan, but that's not one of him. I don't want him to look at me and say, Johnny, you're an adulteress to me. Johnny, you love everything else but me. Johnny, you love your job more than you love me. Johnny, you love your dogs more than you love me. Johnny, you love your more family more than you love your dogs and love me. I got to get my, because I want to get in trouble with my family. <laughs> Caught myself. But think about it. What are the things that we put before God? I can tell you, for years, it was my job. For years, I wanted to be the best structural designer I could be in Baton Rouge. 
I changed jobs for 20 years and never had a resume because everybody knew my reputation in the business. But that job was in front of God at times. I was an adulterer because right there I was putting my pleasures, I was putting my things before God. And you keep going, you know, and, and when he compares us to being an enemy, but then what do we do with it? And, you know, where do we go? Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 6, 24, he says that we can't serve two masters. He tells us, you're either going to serve money or you're going to serve me. You're either going to serve hobbies or you're going to serve me. You're either going to serve your family or you're going to serve me. You can't serve both of us. And so all through this, all through this, he calls us out. Now, I might be reading into it, and this is Johnny Morgan's theology right here, but I have to believe that whenever he looks at us and, he, and he's saying, you adulterous people, there has to be a tear in his eye because that's not what he wants. He yearns to have a relationship with us. He yearns. He desires to love us. He desires to walk with us, but yet we choose to be an enemy. We choose to do what we want. We choose to be that adulterous people that James is talking about. So how do we fix it? You know, how do we fix that? Well, when you go on further down and you start in verse 7, it's a playbook that immediately right there, it starts telling us what we need to do. It says, submit yourselves to God. Submit yourselves to God. Very first thing we got to do, we have to start with surrender. We have to. How hard is it to surrender? How hard is it for us to look to somebody else and say, I'm surrendering myself to you. I am no longer me. I am all you. How hard is that? It's very hard. Let's just get honest. It's very hard. And that's why it starts there. That's why he starts with that one. You have to submit to me. You have to submit to me. And then the second one, you have to resist the devil. You have to resist the devil. It says if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. We've got to learn to submit to God, then we've got to learn to resist the devil. I walked a few, after the first service, I walked in the senior adult class in the back of this building, and the devil was standing there with a butter cookie. And that's what Mr. Aikman said. He said, mm-hmm, I got your temptation. And I said, you just won because I love butter cookies. We have to submit to, to God. We have to learn to resist the devil. But then it goes on, and, you know, in the playbook, it just keeps coming out. It says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. What a promise. Do you hear that? What a promise to think. He's telling us. He's saying, if you come near to me, if you come near to me, I'm there. I'm coming near to you. But we have to start that process. We have to learn to submit to him. We have to learn to resist the devil. And then we have to take that step towards him. But then it starts getting into our business a little bit more. It says you need to wash your hands, you sinners. You need to wash your hands. You need to start getting rid of the things in your life that's going to keep you from being near to me. Start washing your hands. Wow. Some of us don't want to go there. You know, we struggle through the submitting. Then we have to start resisting the temptations and the devil. We have to come near. Then we have to wash our hands. But then we have to purify our hearts. 
purify our hearts. What's in our heart that's keeping us from having that walk with God? What's in our heart that's keeping us from saying, God, you're my everything? What's keeping us in our hearts from saying, God, I need you. God, I want to come near to you. God, I want it. What do we have to get rid of in our hearts? But then you go on down a little bit further into verse 9, and what does it say in verse 9? We have to get broke. In verse 9, it says, Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. You know, hear those words. You have to grieve, you have to mourn, and you have to wail. When is the last time our sin has brought us to our knees to grieving? When is the last time that our sin has called us to cry out to God and say, God, I'm a failure. God, I need you. God, I need you to forgive me. God, I don't understand why I can't get on the internet without looking at this stuff. God, I don't understand why when certain people walk by me, I have to take a double take. God, I don't understand why I covet these things. When is the last time it's broke our heart? You know, when you start looking, it says to change your laughter to mourning. You know, it's not that God don't want us to be happy, but he wants us to quit laughing at sin. Today in the world, in 2019, we laugh at sin. Let's just get honest. When you walk out of these, this, this building, out of this, these walls, and you start walking, and you start looking, people are laughing at sin. People aren't scared of sin no more. People aren't scared of the consequences no more. And he's telling us, he's saying, I need you to change your laughter to mourning. I need you to change your joy to gloom. I need you to grieve. I need you to mourn. I need you to wail. I need you to let it bother you that you don't love me enough to serve me. And then that next word, verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. He's getting us where he wants us. Are you seeing the progression? Are you seeing? The, I mean, I, I think it's a, that verse 7 to 12 is a playbook on life because it's telling us how we need to live. But then it goes on. It says, look, once you humble yourselves, once you do these things, you can't go back and you can't start slandering one another. You can't judge each other. That's my job. The job of Johnny Morgan is not to judge your sins. The job of Johnny Morgan is not to look at you and say, hmm, I've seen your social media. Santa Claus is not coming to see you. You know? That's not my job. What's my job? Is to love you. That's my job. What's he tell us? To love your neighbor as yourself. That's the only job I have is to love you. It's not my job to judge. But yet too many times we do it. Too many times we get caught up in it. You know, too many times that he's saying, whenever you do that, you're saying that I don't matter. Whenever you do that, you're saying that I don't matter, that my law don't, does not matter. You know, that last song we just sang, I guess I've never heard it before, but I love the words in that one line. And, um, it says, I come broken to be mended. How many of us come this morning broken to be mended? How many of us this morning come? That waters this morning was stirred. Because little Emma accepted Christ a few weeks ago and she realized she was not perfect. She realized she needed Jesus to become the Lord of her life and she needed to tell the whole world today, I'm a new creation. And if that don't excite us, nothing is. Next Sunday morning, we got at least two more going to walk into that water. Because we're broken 
and we need to be mended. And the world needs to see that we serve a God that will heal us. We need The world needs to see that we serve a God that loves us. But we have to go back to verse 7. We have to learn to submit. We have to learn how to resist. We have to learn how to be humble. We have to learn how to grieve and mourn whenever we mess up. Because these words, I'm telling you, when you go back into verse 4, they bite. They hurt my feelings. You know, whenever you hear that, Whenever James is looking, he says, you adulterous people. I like to be friends with everybody. I do. I like to be friends with everybody. I would hope that most people would think that I'm a friendly person. But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't want to be considered a friend of the world because I don't want to be considered an enemy of God. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you adulterous people, because of your friendship with the world, you're my enemy. When I walked through that water a long, long time ago, 35 years ago, 36 years ago, it changed me. But you know what? It wasn't like this because I was still holding on to the world a little bit. And as I've grown, and as I've grown, and as I've read this, and the more I read this, the more I fall in love with him, the more I read this, the more I want to be what he wants me to be. It changes me every day. Why do I believe in discipleship? Because that's how we change. Why do I believe in Sunday school? Because that's how lives change. Why do I believe in grow groups? Because that's when lives change. Because when you look at that wall back there, it says, no, grow, go. There's a progression. It don't just say no and stop. You know him, and as you know him, then you grow in him, and then you go. Because there's a whole world that needs to see him. There's a dinner table that we're about to go sit at with people that need to see him. But it has to start with us submitting. It has to start with us falling more in love with him. And so I told you when you started this morning that it was going to be hard-hitting and it wasn't going to be fun because I think there's a lot of us that need to do some self-evaluations. I'm my worst critic because I self-evaluate all the time because I want to be more like him. I want to be that disciple that he's called me to be. I want to be that father that he's called me to be, that husband that he's called me to be, that leader that he's called me to be. And I can't do it unless I'm submitting to him. I can't do it unless I'm humbling myself before him. I can't do it unless sin wrecks my life to the point that I don't want to do it. So where are we at today? I'm not talking about Live Oak. I'm talking about you. Where are you at today? Where are you at with your walk with God? Is he going to look at you and say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Or is he going to look at you and say, you adulterous person? That hurts, don't it? 